Are you frustrated with your government contracting journey? Do you feel like there's just something missing in your business, but you just can't put your finger on it? Are you finding enough opportunities? Are you struggling to win the few opportunities you do find? Do you have a plan of attack or a strategy for this market? Would you like somebody to review your current approach? Maybe it's time to consider getting a coach. Our team of coaches have helped our clients win over $13.6 billion in government contracts. We've figured out how to help companies just like you accelerate in this market. Market. If you want to find out if coaching is for you, go to federal-access.com forward slash govcon coaching today and fill out a coaching application. I will personally respond to your application and schedule a time for us to talk about your business. There's no cost for the session. There's no obligation. There's no hard sell or anything like that. What I will guarantee you is I will review your top challenges and give you detailed advice. And if coaching makes sense for you, I'll walk through your options. Visit federal-access.com forward slash govcon coaching today to get started. Now let's get into this episode. Welcome to Game Changers for Government Contractors. Game Changers is dedicated to helping you position for and win more government contracts. And now your hosts, Josh and Mike. Hey everybody, Michael Lejeune here, and I am going to be your host on Game Changers. And as always, we have a really great episode for you today. We're going to be talking about simplified acquisitions, and my special guest is Ron Smith. He's the president of Ronald Smith Contracts, Inc. Ron, welcome to the show today, and please take a minute to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do. I'm Ron Smith. Uh, I am an aerospace and defense uh, contracting consultant. Uh, based in Melbourne, Florida, east coast of Florida. Uh, my work career, when I had a day job, uh, started with Grumman, which became Northrop Grumman. And uh, then I went from there to Compaq, which became Hewlett Packard. And then later on, I went to work for Airbus. So I was in aerospace and defense contracting and supply chain for several decades, uh, had executive level positions at, at all of those companies. Um, did a lot of contracts, did a lot of deals, and I continue to work with clients uh, in aerospace and defense, ranging from commercial supply chain uh, to negotiations and very specialized uh, Navy and Army contracts. So a wide range of experience, um, always enjoyed the contracts profession and the contracts business, the inside baseball of how we do business buyers and sellers. Uh, a couple of years ago, I took an interest, uh, and we'll talk about the specifics in a minute, but I took an interest in the evolution of simplified acquisitions, and, the, and that led uh, Michael and I to put this session together. Yeah, and that's great. You know, I, I, I wish there was more specialists out there that I could talk to about stuff like this. And then again, I'm glad it's it's only you that I can talk to about this. It's a, it's a great topic. You know, the, the simplified acquisitions is something that I, I think everybody that's out there getting into government contracting, at some point they hear this term and they think, oh, that's the gold I'm looking for is simplified acquisitions. And to, and to some degree, that could be correct, depending on what they do and how they do it and those sort of things. But I really wanted to dive in today and talk to an expert about this so that we could really educate our listeners on what simplified acquisitions are, as well as how to go about this. Because again, I think some people think if they just go and knock on a door somewhere and say, hey, we're a small business, we can get this under this threshold, you've got to be able to do this. 
they think money's just going to rain down and it's and it's not that simple there's a lot more to it and then there's a lot of people that have never heard of simplified acquisitions and don't know there are these opportunities to go out and chase or how to create an opportunity through simplified acquisitions so i'm i'm really excited for this topic and i thought i'd let you kick us off by you know by telling folks who don't know what are simplified acquisitions and what is the simplified acquisition threshold? Uh, simplified acquisition is the uh, title of FAR Part 13. Most people are very uh, familiar with Part 15, which is negotiated procurement, which is where all your major programs get managed, or FAR Part 12, which is commercial. Uh, nestled in the middle there is Part 13, which is simplified acquisition. So when we talk about simplified acquisition, they're two key terms, and they sound very similar. The simplified acquisition procedures are the uh, contents of FAR Part 13. That's the how-to manual of, of the way that the government conducts its business uh, in simplified acquisition. Simplified acquisition is limited to a threshold, the simplified acquisition threshold. So SAP is the procedure, SAT is the, is the threshold, and the threshold for non-commercial is very low. It's $150,000, and for commercial transactions, it's $7 million. So if it's both simplified and commercial, then you've got a low-digit millions threshold, but if it's non-commercial, it's a very low threshold, only $150,000. I've talked to a lot of organizations around the country, and I've seen a few times where we bring up simplified acquisitions, and they say, yeah, there's a $100,000 threshold, and then some will say there's one hundred twenty-five, and some will say there's $150,000. i am sure there's been an evolution of that, but just to clear this up, can an organization say, I know the limit's one fifty, but we're going to make that one hundred in our organization because we just we just want to lower it to that. Is that something that contracting organizations have the ability to do? Not, uh, no, they don't have the ability to do that. There's a under the statute. There's a very careful formula, uh, which is exercised uh, by the Department of Defense, the Office of Secretary of Defense, every five years, and it's a formula calculation that's in the statute. So uh, individual procurement activities don't have the option to drop that. Now, the fact of the matter is that $150,000, which is the current accurate number, is really a very small number uh, in the defense business, in the non-commercial business. So you've already got a very limited threshold. Hmm. And the other thing that we need to note about the threshold is it works off a formula that that resets every five years. And these are all done at once. They're done as a, as a group. Uh, the thresholds for uh, reporting executive compensation, um, subcontracting plans, cost of pricing data, all those calculations get made once every five years. And typically, uh, they track to an index, typically this consumer price index. The simplified acquisition threshold has a feature built into the statute 
which was probably originally designed to prevent the the um, the threshold from being very variable. That if the um, threshold did not change very much, typically in a period of low inflation, then uh, if it didn't meet the the standard that was in the threat the statute, then it would not change. So unlike the others that float automatically, SAP and and the simplified acquisition threshold doesn't float. It really goes up in pieces. It started out at a hundred thousand uh, twenty years ago, more than twenty years ago, and it's only been adjusted once, and that was in two thousand ten. It went up from one hundred to one fifty, and you'll hear people use both of those numbers. The accurate number is one fifty, but in two thousand fifteen, when the government went through the calculations. According to the formula, it didn't change enough to uh, be adjusted. Mm-hmm. So it's still 150. And what happens as the CPI goes up by any degree is it, if you started in 2010, threshold went up to 150. Now it's 2017. So that 150 is actually worth about $130,000. Mm-hmm. So you start off with a low number and then inflation. Uh, degrades that number and you wind up with a threshold that applies to really only very, very small transactions, which is why it, it, one of the reasons it has a very limited use. Mm. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I, I know this is slightly off topic, but a, a question that that I thought of while you were kind of talking about that is what was the purpose of bringing in simplified acquisitions? Because I, I think a lot of people Again, this is a lot of people listening to this are brand new to government contracting and they hear this and they think, oh, this is for me. You know, this is this is for the little company. What what was the real purpose of introducing simplified acquisitions in the first place? Well, if if we go back to the mid 90s, when there was a whole round of acquisition reform uh, with the Federal Acquisition Streamlining Act, um, FASA, and and several other statutory changes. Uh, we went from a system where the government was completely dominated by what we know now as FAR Part 50, negotiated procurement. Everything was done by uh, very elaborate government unique procedures. And there was a recognition that we ought to have different procedures for commercial items, and we ought to have different procedures for micro-purchases, which are a part of simplified acquisition, and we ought to have a easier procedure, let's say, a simplified procedure for uh, small transactions, particularly where you were dealing with small businesses who might not have the backroom support and the overhead structure of a major defense contractor. So in the mid-90s, the DOD way of doing business was subdivided according to the complexity of the transaction and what was being bought. So that was the original concept. And then the indexing was uh, an effort to make that permanent and and make it um, up to date as we went forward in time because uh, obviously if we had kept the original 1990s threshold at $100,000, that buys you very little in today's marketplaces, particularly in defense goods. So there was an effort to reform the system and 
balance the complexity of the procurement versus the risk to the government, particularly in issues like micro-purchases, government credit cards, and simplified acquisition. Now, what happened after the fact is that we fast forward in time a couple of decades, and simplified acquisition is now used uh, about 4% of the time. So if you take 4% of the defense budget, the total spend, then you get a a multi-billion dollar number. But it's still a very small fraction, and it's certainly not uh, the original concept that Congress talked about where uh, there would be a carve-out for small business of the uh, the less complex, uh, you know, not weapon systems, not uh, Category 1 programs, but simple things would be done simply. That was the concept hmm. 20 years ago. Has not worked out that way. Hmm. No, I, I like the way you put that, and I like the background on how we got to where we are today. I think that that's really important for listeners. But, you know, doing simple things simply, that's just not the way the government is, right? (laughs) They got to find a hard way to do it. And, uh, you know, this is kind of where we are. But, you know, why is this, you know, the simplified acquisition procedure, why is it so limited? Well, it's limited by the dollar threshold. And it's limited by the fact it's set aside by small business. And it's limited by the implementation. And by that, I mean, if, if you open up FAR Part 13, and uh, if you're new to this and, and you go online and look up FAR Part 13, you say, oh, boy, gee, this is great. I'm going to look up simplified acquisition. This is going to be easy. And you open that up, and the uh, clauses associated with simplified acquisition that are listed in Part 13 is to a, is a two pages single spaced. And if you print all that out, you get a book that's about 60 pages. So whereas in the commercial world, if I say, here's my simplified purchase order, then uh, you can flip the sheet over. Uh, If you have an air conditioner repairman come to your house, you can flip the sheet over, and the entire terms and conditions is in tiny print on the back of the sheet. Mm -hmm. But in this case, simplified means 60 pages of single space text if you printed it all out. Wow. And uh, if you dig a little deeper, and I'm, I'm going to talk a, about some of the research that's being now done now within the government when we get into the discussion a little further, uh, as the government looks at this in 2017 terms, there, there are about 42 clauses in that list, uh, exactly 42 clauses, and uh, optional as an optional add-on, the government could go up to as many as... 430 clauses. When we say it's simplified, all things are relative. Your air conditioning repair doesn't hold a candle to simplicity the way the government implements simplicity. So when you look at that and you're a government person, then there's a tendency to say, this might not be small business. I'm not sure that we're going to fit underneath this very low threshold. And by the way, it's not that much simpler than what we were doing anyway. So we'll just go old school. And that gets you this four-digit, four-percent uh, single-digit adoption rate. Yeah, that that was my my next question. There was I just I don't understand why more contracting officers aren't taking advantage of this. You know what what is it that's causing contracting officers, or you know the organization? Because sometimes the CEO is just executing what they're told, right? Why aren't organizations using simplified acquisitions more of the time? 
you know, it, it is okay. any thoughts on that? Well, I, I'll give you two thoughts. One, my personal opinion is that the threshold is so low that the tendency on the part of the government contracting personnel is to say to themselves, I've got a requirement here. It looks small and it looks simple. But if I go out for quotes and the answer comes back more than $150,000, and and in terms of simplified procedures, there's quite a list of simplification. There's the threshold. There, There are... Theoretically, fewer clauses, not always, but, but you can have fewer clauses if you go through the list of 42. And the most important thing is that, uh, that you can just go get quotes, including verbal quotes, and not go through a formal source selection. So if you're sitting there as a government contracting officer with the phone in your hand, you say to yourself, there's a possibility here that I can make a few phone calls, get the quotes, pick the best one, Make my buy under the threshold, and it'll really be simple. But if the answers come back more than $150, which is extremely low in modern cash terms, if the answer comes back more than $150,000, then I just have to start over again and do it old school. So if there's a risk that I'm going to have to start over again, then I'll just do it old school from the beginning. And you wind up uh, about 75% of the time with... FAR Part 15, full negotiated procurement, and about 20% of the time with a, a, a true commercial transaction, Part 12, and that leaves the 4% left over is what really does get executed, simplified. But I believe the number one barrier is just the fact that the threshold is not only low in absolute terms, 150000 but in terms of buying power, that erodes even further, mm-hmm. and, and there are just a limited number of transactions that are going to fit under that threshold, and if there's any doubt of whether they're going to fit under the dollar value, then why not just do it in the traditional way? Right. Yeah, and, and that makes sense given you know how we've, we've seen in the industry the amount of contracting officers shrinking. So there's so there's less contracting officers, but there's still the same amount of work or more work. And if I've got to do something twice, why not? Or if I if there's a chance I'm going to have to do it twice, why not just skip this route and go the other route? I can see that making a lot of sense for those folks. Again, you know, smaller numbers means means more work. So why add more work to this? So what are some of the common misperceptions about simplified acquisitions? Because I know there's a lot of companies out there that, again, think it's it's a slam dunk. It's easy. It's so simple to go and, and you know, approach an organization and say, hey, you should buy this. It's under the threshold. You know, let's let's go ahead and write the check. You know, the contractors are so optimistic. But what are some of the common misperceptions about simplified acquisition? Well, the, the first uh, misperception is that simplified acquisition uh, is, this, is as simple as commercial off the shelf. There's a, there's a mental gymnastics that equates it with the one-page T's and C's on the back of your air conditioning contract. And it, that's just not the way it is. You're not going to get to a simple hand tra- handshake transaction like you would have you know, in the consumer world. So when we say simplified, and then when I tell you, well, the list of clauses that apply is not as bad as the F-35, but it's 42 clauses. 
that doesn't look that simple anymore. Right. And the, and the other, the marketing disincentive, if I'm a small business and I look at this as a, this entire domain, simplified acquisition, by definition, is set aside for small business. Only small businesses operate here. So if I said to myself, I am going to run my business based on uh, quoting and winning simplified acquisition jobs, and so that's going to be my baseline uh, preference, you're going to have to win a heck of a lot of $150,000 jobs to add up to a business. So even if you're a small business and doing uh, very simple products and services, you've got to convince a lot of contracting officers to do this very frequently to make it to add up to uh, a going concern $150,000 at a time. Mm. So this winds up being something the contracting officers are unfamiliar with. And if they've ever gone through the process and then had to start over because of the dollar threshold, that's a disincentive. And the uh, seller, the small business person, uh, is going to find that going out and making these individual sales 150 at a time is a lot of marketing and sales expense. And there's a tendency to say, well, what the heck? I'll just, I'll not go door to door getting $150,000 orders. I'll get into Fed Biz Ops and find uh, a multi-million dollar project and bid that and make my money all at once. So it's a question of marketing focus and it's a question, again, the threshold. Because the threshold is so low the government's not sure they can meet it. And it's so low that it doesn't add up to a significant percentage even of a small disadvantaged business concern. And that's where you get 4%. Yeah. And that's my personal opinion. No, I, I think that's a really good assessment. And it gives a lot of people listening some things to think about. You know, if you're really new to the business and if you're really small, then it's probably an attractive option for you to chase a couple of these just to get going and kind of create that snowball internally. But it's not where you're going to live the life of your business. You know, it's it just it's just not, you know, but there still may be great opportunities that come down the pike here and there through this. But it's one of those things where if you're getting in business and you think this is the the way I'm going to make my money for the rest of my life. There's some considerations, you know, like you said, the the marketing considerations and just the time and effort that goes into it. So what are what are some other uh, things I need to consider? You know, maybe there's three or four things that I need to know as a contractor to take advantage of simplified acquisitions. Well, there are three or four factors in my, my mind. Uh, the first is your status as a, uh, a business. So this is one of those areas where you need to make sure that you qualify for the set-asides. And in particular, uh, depending on the goals of the agency, uh, you might be a small business, but the agency might be concerned about their uh, veteran-owned statistics or their woman-owned statistics. So they might be focused in an area where you're not necessarily the supplier of choice. So you should look at your status versus the small business program of your customer. That's number one. Number two, you need to look at the history of the customer and see, are they familiar with this? Have they ever used it? Have they used it successfully? Uh, Did they look on it favorably? Or have they had a bad experience with this that I have to overcome? Or have they been so focused on major systems acquisition that this is foreign to them? So there's a real uh, cultural issue there. And then finally, uh, number three, I said three or four, but I think I'll stop with three. 
Number three is the implementation. Because if you have a customer who's very comfortable with a set of, of clauses and terms and conditions, and they are going to agree to Part 13, bring with that the clauses that are actually listed in Part 13, and then staple their Part 15 terms and conditions to the back, you haven't gained anything because they have the latitude to add additional language. So you may not wind up with anything simpler than, than you would have had the other way. The only real advantage in that scenario is you could uh, do the negotiation by issuing a quote, getting paperwork back from the government in the form of an offer. You sign that, that's the acceptance, and now you've got a contract and you haven't been through source selection committees and all of that. But the contract you wind up with can be as complex to manage and execute as if you'd done it the long way. So you need to make sure that it's not only going to be simplified acquisition in terms of just getting blue ink on the page, it's also going to be simplified in terms of something that's less expensive for you to execute. So I would mm. look at all of that before I sat down with my customer and said, gee, there's a simpler way to do this. Have you tried part 13? Because for any of those reasons, those could be disqualifiers, not from a regulatory sense, I mean, it's all permissible, but from a business case sense of, you know, how good of a deal is it for the parties? Yeah. I, I would look at all of those. I, I, I like that. I like that, you know, how good of a deal is it for both parties, you know, not just for the government, but also for your company. And, you know, you, you, you can't stay in business if you're not making money. And so you've got to be making money in these situations. And again, I, I think that's where some people think, well, revenue is money. No, it's not. You know, what was your cost on that? Uh, and then what you got left over is your profit, you know, if we boil it down very simply, you know, and, uh, and I think a lot of companies don't think about it. So I'm glad you said that and said it the way you did so that people can look at it from those perspectives, because yeah. that, that's a very important point that you brought up there. So yeah. all really, really good stuff you've covered today. I'm wondering if you got any final thoughts for our listeners. Well, uh, I have two. First of all, uh, by way of a seconding speech to what you just said, uh, many of the small bu small businesses that I've worked with uh, currently and also in the past make it to point uh, to be well known to their uh, senators and congressmen, uh, to be active politically, to, to pay attention to what's going on in Washington uh, and have those relationships. And to the extent you've not done that, you should think about it. That's a separate topic. We could do a call on that someday. But... Uh, to the extent you have those connections, you should be looking at the 809 panel. You should be looking at these regulations and uh, telling your elected representatives, uh, we're about to go through a change cycle here. This is a good thing. When it happens, when this becomes to sh begins to show up in your committees, your subcommittees, in the legislative process, know that this is good for us as constituents. This is a bandwagon we want to be on. That's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is we've talked about uh, simplified acquisition on this call. Uh, that is two pages out of a 60-page report. So when you look at the 809 panel and the other topics they're covering, for example, the, the definition of commercial items, payments, 
a government property. Uh, you should be, you should go through the chapter headings as a business person. And for extra credit, if you're going to do a master's thesis on that simplified acquisition, there is uh, a big case for looking at these other areas. You should look at every chapter heading and say, does this touch my business? What are these people really going to recommend? How likely is that to happen? How likely is my customer to embrace these changes the way they're shaping up? Uh, so it's not just simplified acquisition. You know, I don't want to go off topic and dive into commercial items, but that's another area uh, that you should be looking at as one example and say, yeah, for each one of these categories, for each one of these chapters in their report, if these changes really happen, how does it affect my business? And that way you're not flat footed when these things come out of the pipeline a year or two years from now. So it's it's more than just the one topic, although we've tried to, to stick to our knitting and stay on topic with simplified acquisition today. Principles apply to a lot of other parts of the business. Yeah, no, that's great. And I, I really appreciate that advice for our listeners because I, there's so many times where I talk to somebody and they're not aware of what's going on and they wake up and there's a restriction that they found out through a contracting officer that, they, hey, this happened two months ago, six months ago, whatever. And they're in a position where they're almost out of business because their whole business strategy has been kind of pivoting on these one or two things. Those one or two things get yanked away and now they don't know what to do because they weren't prepared. And so I really, really hate to see that. I love it when people are, as you said, they're looking through that. Even if you just skim the headings, uh, you know, in those chapters, like you suggested and see if that applies to my business, read it. If not, skip it. You know, it's, it's that simple, but I would rather be aware that something's coming so I could change business strategy or pick up a phone and call your congressman and say, Hey, I don't know if you know, this is happening, but this is going to kill a lot of business in, in your neighborhood and you aren't going to get elected if this happens, <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a real simple phone call to make, you know, and, uh, but it's, it's good to have that. It's good to have that information. And so ton of good points on here. I really appreciate you coming on today. I think listeners got a lot into simplified acquisition, but a lot of just technique and strategy in general business practice. And I think that's really good too. So, so they got, they got a really good mix of specifics on the simplified acquisition, but also some really other good knowledge too. And so we, we always love when that happens. And so I'd love to have you back on and talk about some of these other topics sometime, but thank you so much for coming on today. You're very welcome. Uh, you know where to find me and I always love to talk shop with you and with our listeners. So, uh, we'll certainly be doing one of these in the future on a different topic. And, and I look forward to that. It, it was a real honor to be with you today. Well, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. And I also want to take a minute to thank all of our listeners for joining us today on this episode. Remember, you can find every episode on iTunes. Just look for Game Changers for Government Contractors. And you can subscribe to the feed to make sure you get every episode. It'll do that automatically for you. And while you're there, if you could rate the episodes, that would be awesome, too. So we'd really, really appreciate that. And last but not least, please visit our sponsor for today's episode, the Federal Access Program at federal-access.com. When you visit the site today, you'll learn how you can get a free copy of the government sales manual when you register. And be sure to tune in next week for lessons from our experts on how you can win more government contracts. 
Thanks for listening to Game Changers for Government Contractors. For a full list of episodes and other resources, be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash gamechangers.